The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. I want to welcome you today to the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. This podcast is an outreach of Zion Primitive Baptist Church, which is located in the Zion community near Gordo, Alabama. I'm Elder Chris McCool, and I serve as pastor of Zion Primitive Baptist Church. We are a congregation of believers in the sovereign grace of God where families worship together through the simple practice of preaching, praying, and singing. If you live in this area or are visiting here, we would love to have you attend worship services with us. We meet every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. and every Sunday evening at 5 p.m. and the first and third Wednesday evenings at 6.30 p.m. I'm happy to note that our daily podcast is featured on Grace Alone Radio, which you can find at gracealoneradio.net. You can find the schedule on the website, and you can also download an app to your phone so that you can listen wherever you are. Grace Alone Radio is a 24-hour streaming service which carries the message of God's sovereign grace around the clock and around the world. Zion Primitive Baptist Church is located at 9487 County Road 49, Gordo, Alabama. That's near the intersection of County Road 49 and Alabama Highway 159, about eight miles north of Gordo, Alabama, and about 10 miles northeast of Reform, Alabama. If you're interested in finding more sermons, you can go to our website at zionpbc.com, that's z-i-o-n-p-b-c.com, where you'll find all of our posted sermons as well as a link to subscribe to our podcast. You can also subscribe to our website which will update you every time a new sermon is posted. Today's message marks a new division of the book of Revelation. Thus far in Brother Buddy Abernathy's series on this book, we've looked at the introduction in chapter 1, and the letters to the seven churches in chapters 2 and 3, and then in chapters 4 and 5, our focus has been on the throne room of God. Chapter 6 begins a new section of the book of Revelation, where the focus is no longer upon heaven, but upon earth and the great tribulation that God's children face here. You may recall that there was a book in the hand of the king, God the Father, which no man could open, but God the Son, the Lamb of God, who is also the Lion of the tribe of Judah. We will begin in chapter 6, seeing Jesus Christ opening the seven seals of that book. Today's message deals with the first four seals that are opened and shows us that Jesus Christ intervenes in the affairs of men both to protect his children and to punish the wicked in a timely sense. Ultimately, he will judge the wicked and protect his children in an eternal sense. But the book of Revelation was written to give encouragement to persecuted Christians here and now. Join us today as we enter this new section of Brother Buddy Abernathy's exposition of the book of Revelation. Due to the length of the sermon, we will not have a song selection today. We go right into the message. I do want to try to continue with the book of Revelation today, but based on where we're at and the subject matter and the figurative language, I feel like it will be very helpful for me to lay a, a foundation uh, which will uh, benefit towards your understanding of the next chapter in this book. <clears throat> now, in the world today, there's endless religious philosophies, even, in the, even among those that profess to be Christian. There are so many different doctrines 
taught in the religious world. But one particular philosophy that's not a necessarily a Christian philosophy is that there is a divine creator that created everything we see in the natural realm. But then they go on to teach that when God completed the creation and provided everything necessary for it to function physically and in the natural realm, he then withdrew himself completely and he's just an outward observer of what happens. And one of the best illustrations I can think of this is you think about a watchmaker. Now, I'm not talking about these digital watches. I'm talking about the watches uh, that I remember when I was a child where they worked mechanically with a lot of tiny gears on the inside. And it was a very uh, detailed design to make that small watch operate and keep correct time with all those moving parts. And so the designer and builder of that watch was very involved and very conscientious about how it was designed and put together. But once he completed it and that watch was sold, he wasn't involved with its operation anymore. It may run for many, many years. Someone might use that watch for years to come, but the, the one that built the watch is no longer involved with it. And that's the way that some view their God, that he created this world and now everything is just randomly unfolding. Now, that's not what we believe. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches a doctrine that we refer to as divine providence. And that just simply means that God is directly involved, not only with the affairs of this world in general, but in your life as his child in particular. And one of the basic principles of God's providence is set forth in Isaiah chapter 1, verses 19 and 20, where the Lord says to the Israelites, For if ye be willing and obedient, ye shall eat the good of the land. But if ye refuse and rebel, ye shall be devoured with the sword, for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. And as I'm sure that you were able to visualize many of the things that Brother Glenn was saying about Israel, that in a spiritual sense, those concepts apply to our life today. In like manner, this passage I quoted in Isaiah is the same. If you're obedient to the Lord, you will eat the good of the land. Now think about that in a spiritual sense. Things will go well with you. You will have a, a peaceful life. That doesn't mean everything's going to go right. That doesn't mean everybody's going to like you. But as far as your fellowship with the Lord is concerned, you will experience 
what Paul described as the very essence of the kingdom of God, which is righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured with a sword. The Lord is faithful to chasten his children. And in the same way you didn't enjoy your father's chastening, you won't enjoy the Lord's chastening. But it is corrective. It is for your welfare. But if we continue on in blatant disobedience, we may indeed suffer some severe consequences here in this world. So that's, what, that's one aspect of providence, that God is involved with the affairs of our life. Now, Revelation, and in particular, the portion we're going to look at today, is all about God's providential involvement in the affairs of this world particularly from the time that Jesus came into this world and died for our sins until he returns and time is no more and we're delivered to be with him forever in heaven. But the difference is this. We ordinarily think of God's providence and the greater majority of the Bible does approach it this way is how the Lord directly deals with us, blesses us in obedience, chastens us in disobedience. But the book of Revelation is more focused on God, how God providentially deals with the wicked to protect and deliver His people while here in this world. And it ultimately leads to their final and eternal ruin and judgment. <clears throat> but keep that in mind. Whereas you're accustomed to reading throughout the Bible how the Lord will bless you in obedience and chasten you in disobedience, we need to readjust our way of looking at God in Revelation because it's about how God directly deals with those that would oppose and harm the children of God. And he is providentially involved throughout your life in that way. <clears throat> and if our country continues in the direction it's going, we're going to appreciate more and more this way of looking at how God is providentially involved in our lives today. Because they were under severe persecution. And the Lord used... Uh, the, the message of the book of Revelation to remind them that not only can I deal with your enemies now, but as we'll see in chapter 6, that eventually, in the end, they will be permanently and eternally judged. Now, Revelation chapter 6, is a figurative description or a picture of what I've tried to describe. That God is involved in the affairs of this world in sending judgments on the wicked to protect and deliver His children and ultimately the judgment on the wicked is final and eternal. 
Notice the last verse of chapter 6. For the great day of his wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? That's at the end of a chapter where the Lord talks about how he judges the wicked to protect and deliver us now, and ultimately the judgment will be complete ruin and complete deliverance for the children of God. But Revelation chapter 6 is an explanation of chapter 5. You remember chapter 5 talks about a book which is in the right hand of him that sits on the throne, and that's God. And no man was found worthy to open the book. And Finally, it's told that Jesus, who's described here in various ways in verse 5, is the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. It says, he hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. I'm not sure exactly how this scroll was put together, but the way I think about it is there was one page or a group of pages rolled together with a seal keeping them rolled up and then another one rolled over that with a seal and another one rolled over that until you had seven different sections and you would remove that outward seal and you could uh, read the page or pages that were uh, under that particular seal, and then there would be another seal where you could read the next section. So that's how you're to picture this, is there's this uh, group of scrolls, one rolled up with a seal, another one rolled on that with a seal, and, and so forth. Now, this scroll, which is uh, figurative, its purpose is to teach us or help us visualize uh, particular ideas is going to be opened by Jesus. He's the only one that is worthy or has the ability to open it. So as we look at chapter 6, and obviously we'll not be able to go through all of this, Let's notice what happens when Jesus begins to open or unseal these separate sections. Chapter 6, verse 1. John says, And I saw the Lamb, op I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard, as it were, the noise of thunder, one of the four beasts saying, Come and see. And I saw, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat on him had a bow, and a crown was given unto him, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. Now I believe this is a description of Jesus. He's on the white horse. This is the first seal. This is the first of four horses. And this is described as a white horse. That would be appropriate uh, for Jesus and his Purity. This is a white horse, 
And it describes the one that sat on it as having a bow and a crown was given unto him. And he went forth conquering and to conquer. So you see here at the very beginning of this description, the focus is not on the Lord directly delivering you. It's the focus is him directly dealing with our enemies. Now let's consider a few thoughts about this white horse. In Revelation chapter 19, verse 11, I believe here's a, a, a verse that proves who's on this horse. Revelation 19 and 11 says, And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat on him was faithful and true. Notice that's a capital F and a capital T. He that sat on him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. Now that's the, way, the same way Jesus operates in your life today. In righteousness he doth judge and make war. When the enemies of God's people begin to persecute and attack His people, remember His people are the bride of Christ. And a good loving husband is not going to stand by when some begin, someone begins hurting his wife. And that's the way it is with Jesus and His people in a spiritual sense. So the idea we're to begin uh, seeing here in Revelation chapter 6 is yes, the throne of God where God sits and Jesus is at His right hand is, is knowledgeable and involved with what's going on down here. His eye is on His people and in particular here, His eye is on the enemies. Of his people. Now, notice these next three horses. And the way I like to look at this is these next three follow and obey Jesus. And remember, these aren't literal horses. You're not going to See somebody riding around on a white horse and a red horse and a black horse and a pale horse. You're, you're not going to literally see that. That's not a sign of the last days if you see a red horse going down the street. But these next three horses are figurative of some of the ways that Jesus conquers the enemies of his people. Verse 3. And when he had opened the second seal, I heard the second beast say, Come and see. And there went out another horse that was red. And power was given to him that sat thereon to take peace from the earth, and that they should kill one another. And there was given unto him a great sword. Now notice this is similar to the way Jesus is described. But I believe Jesus is described as being the conqueror in an overall sovereign way. You know, it just says he had a crown and a sword. 
And he went forth conquering and to conquer. But notice the specifics here. He says when he opened the second seal, there went, there, there was a, there went out another horse that was red. And no, notice what this red horse was all about. Power was given to him that set their own to take peace from the earth and that they should kill one another. And there was given unto him a great sword. Isn't it interesting how that oftentimes evil men who want to come together to destroy a righteous nation end up just killing themselves? <laughs> you know, the Lord says, all I've got to do is reach down and remove peace and they'll kill each other. Think about all of the tactics of Hitler, all the lies he would tell, supposedly make agreements with other countries, and he was lying the whole time, you know, and I, don't, I, I meant to look up the exact quote when he talked about how many hundreds of years his empire will stand. The Lord just reaches down, and many times they'll just destroy themselves. When you think about this red horse, think about how the Lord uses war in the wicked destroying one another. And in effect, God's people are protected and delivered. Now notice this next horse, verse 5. And when he'd opened the third seal, I heard the third beast say, Come and see. And I beheld, and lo, a black horse. And he that sat on him had a pair of balances in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four beasts say, A measure of wheat for a penny, three measures of barley for a penny, and see thou hurt not the oil and the wine. Now this third seal with a black horse is famine. Notice how the language describes that. A measure of wheat for a penny, three measures of barley for a penny, and see thou hurt not the oil and the wine. Now, I could go into a lot of detail onto this, but suffice it to say you worked all day just to buy enough food for that day. Just the basic bare necessities. And when he says, touch not the oil and the wine, that means there's great scarcity. You know, when there's been evil empires in recent history that just collapsed because of famine. The people starving to death. So you see all of this, whether it's in the first century or the 21st century, is intended to comfort. You know, it's amazing. Most people read Revelation to scare God's people. Oh, be ready for the great tribulation. Be ready for the thousand year reign. You better be watching. You better make sure you don't miss the secret rapture of the church. That's not what it's about. 
Again, whether you lived in the first century or the 21st century, the idea is that if we face persecution in America, this should help us to know God is still on the throne and He is still involved with dealing with the enemies of His people. And the, the main, uh, the, the, the real comfort from the book, and as we'll see at the very end of this chapter, is that one day they're going to be destroyed forever and they're never going to harm you or your children or your descendants again. Because Jesus is on that white horse going forth conquering and he's going forth conquering and he can use that red horse to take peace from the earth and the wicked just destroy one another. He can use that black horse and send famine and starvation to those that would oppose God. And then there's this fourth seal in verse 7. When he had opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth beast say, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse. And his name that sat on him, notice this, was Death, capital D, and Hell, capital H, Followed with him. And power was given unto him over the fourth part of the earth to kill with sword and with hunger and with death and with the beast of the earth. Now, primarily, this pale horse, I believe, represents pestilence or disease. Now, think about how comprehensive. All of this is so far in how the Lord can judge the enemies of the Lord's people. Yeah, first of all, the, the white horse who's the leader and in charge of, he, he's leading the charge. And he can deal with the enemies of God's people through war. He can deal with them through famine. And he can deal with them through pestilence. But notice there's some more detail about this fourth horse. And we can at least see that this is sort of a, a culmination of all of it. Notice some of the words here that he uses. He says, a pale horse and his name that set on him was death and health. His name that set on him was death and hell followed him. And power was given unto them over the fourth part of the earth. Now what does he mean by that? Their power was over the fourth part of the earth. Well, the idea there is that final worldwide universal destruction is not happening yet. That will happen in the end. Now not only is that addressed later in this chapter, but just read a couple of verses in 2 Peter Chapter 3 and verse 10. Now this is a direct parallel to that last verse I read to you in the book of Revelation when it talked about the, gray, the, the day of His uh, great wrath. Here he says, The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise and the elements shall melt with fervent heat 
and the earth and also the works that are therein shall be burned up. See, this is not a fourth part of the earth here. This is the whole world. This is when the Lord returns to permanently destroy the enemies and permanently deliver His people and when the whole world will be destroyed. But until that time, God involves Himself at His pleasure to judge the enemies of God's people and, and, and deliver them. He says, verse 8 of Revelation 6, I looked and behold a pale horse and his name that sat on him was death and hell followed him. You know, pestilence causes death and he says hell followed him. That can also be referring to death or the grave. But he also says, and power was given unto them over the fourth part of the earth. To kill with sword, that's war, and with hunger, that's famine, and with death, that I believe is referring to pestilence, and with the beast of the earth. So the point I want you to get is that today, as we naturally fear what may come in this country, as we see rights being taken away and God's people not so much physically persecuted yet, but in many other ways, just remember, God's still on the throne. Jesus is at the right hand of God. Jesus is the only one that can intervene in the affairs of this life. He holds that book. He's the only one that has any uh, that's worthy to open the seals, and he opens it as he pleases and deals with our enemies. But I want to leave you with one warning. Some of the ways that he describes God dealing with our enemies are also ways he may deal with us in blatant rebellion against him. And let me just show you as we close one portion of scripture in the Old Testament that teaches that. And we're primarily just going to read this to you. But notice this in Leviticus chapter 26. And remember, this is not talking about the wicked, the evil, those that always oppose the Lord's people. This is talking about the Lord's people when they're living in a wicked way. You know, and Isaiah sometimes referred to God's people as wicked because he said, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return unto the Lord for he will have mercy upon him and unto our God for he will abundantly pardon. You can't return somewhere unless you've been there before. But notice the Lord says, let the wicked forsake his way. So God's children, if, if they allow their flesh to dominate their life, they can experience some of these same judgments here in this world that come upon the enemies of God's people. Leviticus chapter 26, verse 14. But if you will not hearken 
unto me and will not do all these commandments. And if ye shall despise my judgments, or if your soul abhor my judgments, so that you will not do all my commandments, but that you break my covenant, I will do this unto you. I will even appoint over you terror, consumption, and the burning age, and there shall consume the eyes and cause sorrow of heart, and ye shall sow your seed in vain, for your enemies shall eat it, and I will set my face against you, and you shall be slain before your enemies. They that hate you shall reign over you, and ye shall flee when none pursueth you. And if you will not yet for all this hearken unto me, then I will punish you seven times more for your sins, and I will break the pride of your power, and I will make your heaven as iron, and your earth as brass, and your strength shall be spent in vain, for your land shall not yield their increase, neither shall the trees of the land yield their fruits. And if you walk contrary unto me, and will not hearken unto me, I will bring seven times more plagues upon you according to your sins. I will also send wild beasts among you, which shall rob you of your children, and destroy your cattle, and make you few in number, and your highways shall be desolate. That's God's people. Now, the Lord is long-suffering and merciful. And if the Lord should mark iniquities, the psalmist said, O Lord, who shall stand? So our purpose is not to terrify you, but our purpose is to instill godly fear. And to have an attitude that I dare not rebel against the Lord. But when I follow Him, no matter what my enemies may do, I can have peace with Him. And ultimately, I will be eternally separated from them. And whenever we continue with these, this book, in those fifth and sixth seals. You'll see how you get a picture of God's people that are in heaven right now saying, Lord, when, when, when are you going to deliver our brethren from their suffering? And then when that sixth seal is open, you'll read about that great day of the Lord's wrath. So you see how this is just one of many pictures of of how the Lord's involved in the first century, the 21st century, and until the Lord comes back. Thank you for joining us today on the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. I hope the message has been uplifting and beneficial to you and that the Lord will continue to bless you to grow in grace and knowledge of the truth. Join us again tomorrow for another message of God's sovereign grace. If you would like to subscribe to our website, please go to www.zionpbc.com and sign up for email updates. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact the church at zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. That's zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. Or you can email me directly at jchrismacool at gmail.com. That's the letter J-C-H-R-I-S-M-C-C-O-O-L at gmail.com. Again, thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you is my prayer. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.